Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, hello, and welcome to Jules Says. I'm Jules, Julie McCarthy. Today, we're going to talk to my friend, Carolyn Kelly. I think it's fair to say that her life has been an adventure. She's picked herself up from some tough challenges and accomplished things, well, I'll just let her tell you. Carolyn, welcome. Thank you. So happy that you are willing to make the time and willing to talk about some of these tough subjects. I think you're an inspiration. I've told you that before. And I think a lot of people who are in a bad place or maybe not the best place in their lives right. might get some inspiration from hearing your story. Funny, I just, I never, I always thought of myself as just this, you know, kind of outside the box dorky person that never quite fit in anywhere. So I tried dumping in and out of many boxes to see where I would fit sort of. So, But you had uh, the courage to jump in and out of many boxes. And I think yeah, people, yeah. if you look at a lot of very successful people, they did not fit in and they had to find their tribe. Yeah. I like the weirdos and the freaks and the artists. Those are, those seem to be my people. Like. Yeah. Well, I'm very interested in people who are different. I don't surround myself with people who are necessarily just like me. I think that would be boring. But how you and I met, I think I was working in Sarnia at the time still and living in Toronto. I was doing this commute and I auditioned for a Hamilton Fringe Festival play called Perfect Wives, Desperate Lives. And I immediately felt so connected with you when I first met you. I did when you auditioned. I was so impressed and so blown away. And so, 
you were so perfect. You were so great and so easy to cast. Oh my gosh. I just thought, and yeah, there was a weird connection, kind of like the, I think I'm going to know this person forever. I'm going to keep her kind of feeling. And and I would love to work with you again, because I really think you're talented. Well, I think you're talented. And so, of course, Carolyn was the director of this show, just to let people know. So that's one of the hats you've worn. But it's not like you started out and somebody paid for you to go to university to become an artistic person. No, Um, I have grade 11. (laughs) I didn't even graduate high school. So what happened? How did you start out? I know you had, you must have had a bit of a rough time somewhere along the way because you have told me, if you're comfortable talking about it, that you were in Covenant House at one time. In Covenant House as a teenager. Um, I could, I'm from outside of Windsor in a small town to come see in Puce, which is actually where my sister and her family still live. Most of my family is still all in and around Windsor. And, it, and Windsor was never really my box. I just, I'm like, this is not my life. This is not my place to live. It's not me. So, you know, I met a boy and left early and uh, he had come to Toronto and of course, at 17, you give no fucks and think you know everything. <laughs> but clearly, I was an idiot. Um, so I packed up a hockey bag and walked up to the highway and stuck my thumb out and ended up in Toronto. And I knew he was at a place called Covenant House. So I got to the city, just uh, luckily alive. You know, I swear to God, all my travels by thumb. I cannot believe I'm alive. Mm-hmm. There's been some close calls, but I, I have a good guardian angel, I think, or several. So I got to the city and I asked a cab driver. I knocked on his window and said, hi, do you know where Covenant House is? And he looked at me and I'm clearly a young teen. And he went, oh, come on in, I'll drive you there. It's only a few blocks. And so he drove me there and and I said, hi, I'm new to the city. And I believe the boyfriend I have at the time was living there and that they have the boys section and they have the girls in a different place down the street, which is now a Nishnabi house. Actually. Oh, yeah. OK. You know, park. Covenant House is one of the charities I donate to monthly because I think it's so important Aww. to help people as young as possible, hopefully younger than the teens, but at least the teens, I think you have more hope of Uh achieving success in life and independence if you have a good start when you're young. But your parents must have been freaking out. Uh, They did. Yeah. Uh, I think I was fairly headstrong and clearly an alien child. So there wasn't much they could do to stop me. I just went, no, I'm going. And off I went, you know, on this big adventure. But I, I made it there. I made it to Covenant House. I lived there for several months. And it, it really honestly was, it's a good place. It's a great place. I mean, we're yearly donators. And when I met Dale, I was really impressed that his company, the company he had at the time, Atlantis Aerospace, as a company, they donated to Covenant House. And that was cool. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I said, I lived there. He was pretty surprised to hear that. But So I'm you were only there for a few yeah. months, though? So Six or seven months, I think. And did they teach you basic life skills and help you get on your feet? Um, They would wake us up early and we had, we would go down and have breakfast. And then they had made in the evenings, you make bag lunches en masse. So in the morning you have your lunch, your breakfast, you take a bag lunch and they give you a piece of paper and you have to fill out the 10 spots of where you've gone to apply for a job. And, and this was like, you know, it's not really CVs or computers those days. It was still, you know, you would go in and fill out, hello, can I have an application, please? And you, you know, are you hiring? And you fill out an application and, you know, you could work at a, at a McDonald's or a, a place for minimum wage and still afford to get an apartment at the time. 
back then. Not now. I feel so bad. Well, no. Minimum wage hasn't really gone up that much, but rent no, certainly but rent. has. No kidding. So, um, yeah, so you went out and looked all day and then you came home, you had to be in the building by a certain time or else they would lock the doors. So, uh, and then you, you, you don't get to come back again the next day. They're like, if you're here, we're going to look after you, but these are the rules and you're going to work to better yourself and you'll be in at a certain time you have dinner. Then they had games and books and things for you to do in the evening, but you couldn't leave. They had a smoking area in the back for the kids who did smoke. Uh, I remember there was a young girl there who was pregnant. She had a good family chosen for her unborn child. And, um, oh. and, and, you know, they was all very social workers, very caring, very, but it was a good place for me. Do you know? Yeah. It was a good place. Yeah. But meanwhile, you were living downtown Toronto. Yeah. So Coming. you started working. I know you were a dancer for a while. Did you start doing that right at that stage or did you get oh. into that after a period of time? I got into that later. I ended up marrying that boy who lived in Toronto for a while together. We both got minimum wage jobs and we lived in an apartment in Toronto in the East End. And then we moved to New Brunswick for a short bit. And I and then I had a paralysis hit the second time. Uh, I have what's called GBS, which is Guillain-Barr syndrome. Yeah. I didn't so, know you had that. Yeah, not many people know about it. Andy Griffith had it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, hey, look at this. I way. have an uncle who had that. It's seriously. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's a frightening thing. So I was pretty happy to hear that the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine were safe for me because flu shots have not been safe for me. My oh, life. okay. Well, that's good. Uh, so I, had a, I had a bout of that in New Brunswick, which made us move back to Ontario. And then, you know, because I was almost 19 and clearly in love and clearly had nothing better to do that weekend, I got married in September, September 3rd, 1988. Oh, the wedding photos, the big hair and the puff sleeves. Oh, do you still have those? <laughs> oh God, I'd lo- I've never seen them. I would love to see them sometimes. But anyway, go on. <laughs> oh, bless my heart. What was I thinking? I wore a cowboy uh, hat in my right? wedding in 1982. Anyway, go on. Hats were in style. It kind of looked like a cowboy. Remember those? My cousin had one for her wedding. I remember. Yeah, I was married less than a year because, you know, again, idiot, had nothing to do that weekend. And I was, you know, here I was separated, living back with my parents at uh, 19. <laughs> God, um, married and divorced already by the tender age of 20. Uh, and yeah, I needed- but better divorced than sticking it out with someone who's wrong for you. I just say, move on, get out and move on. Yeah. He was trying, he was hoping he wanted babies quick. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, you're, you were smart though, Carolyn, because once you have a baby with someone, you are connected for life, whether you like it or not. So that was the right thing to do. I sort of knew then that, yeah, so maybe not wasn't my best, my best move. Sorry, my parents. Uh, so yeah, I, I was living there and I needed a job and a girlfriend I knew says, well, she was working at this lingerie store in Windsor. It was an awful place called Living Lingerie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there was two little back rooms where if the men bought $60 worth of lingerie or more, it could be modeled by one of our sales associates where they sat at one end and basically gave himself a good wank for 20 minutes and uh Kleenex is to your right, sir. And I was, you're at the, you know, the girls were at the other end wearing what they bought. No matter they what did it, it in front of you? In front of me. I guess this Ugh. was pre, uh, you know, movie houses. Who knows? I don't know. That's gross. I would think if they want to look and store it in the mental bank for later, that's one thing, but ugh. anyway. Oh, $60 worth or more and you modeled what they bought and, mm. uh, 
yeah, it was terrifying because, you know, if you were working alone, I remember working alone. And if the guy was like, well, I'll buy this much and I'll get a modeling session. Uh, and then you, I went to the front to lock the door, basically locked in with a stranger. Now, thank God, nothing happened ever other than I was completely grossed out by men for a good while. But I thought this is not a safe place. So next door to me was Jason's in Windsor. And across the street was the Million Dollar Saloon. There are two of the three high-end suit and tie bars that Windsor had. Windsor had many strip bars. Jason's is legendary. People in Sarnia knew about Jason's. They would make a trip to go to Jason's. Yeah, it was a really popular place. So I, I walked into, I thought, well, I'm wearing next to nothing for pizza. I might as well do this with where there's bouncers and safety where I'm safe. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to, it took me a couple of days to just like, <gasps> you know, get over the fear of walking in. Well, I have some questions about the dancing because I think a lot of people have impressions of these areas of work that are just disrespectful. To me, it's a performance. It's uh, like any other performance, as long as you're comfortable with it and as long as you're not being abused or trafficked. Right. Um, Yeah, no, I wasn't abused or trafficked, definitely. I mean, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying coming from a shy person who would change in the bathroom in front of my first husband because he's the one constantly saying, you're fat, your boobs are too big. God. You're hideous. And I'm going, wow, and I was smaller then than I am now. Jesus. But you know what? Also, it's like my mother used to always say, well, Julie, as long as the dark spots are covered, you're good to go. And if you're dancing in Jason's, you're showing your dark spots. (laughs) I was, yeah. Well, I, I walked into Jason's and went, Hello, are you hiring? I like no clue. Just clearly so like sheltered life, right? And 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 the guy went, no, we're good. We got enough girls. We're fine. I'm like, okay, thank you. And I just turned around and walked out, mortified. And uh, and then I took another couple of days to get over this fear. And I walked into the million dollar saloon. Johnny was the owner. Yeah, him and his parents, I think, owned it because I remember his mother being a big frightening woman. He was a big guy with a square head and no neck. Uh, and he came in. I'll never forget. Yeah, he came in. He goes, I said so. Uh, I pointed to the stage. I um, I want to do this. He went, okay. You already done this before? I said, no. He goes, well, I have to see. I have to see you make it. I'm like, right, okay. Because in my head, I'm going, well, clearly that makes sense. Of course, that's. I'm sure how all of this happens. Oh, like so. He goes. He brings me down to the little office by the girls' change room. It's a brightly lit room. It's like a cafeteria lighting. Huh? Shall I make you a sandwich while I strip, sir? Oh, it's hideous. Um, he basically said, stand up, turn your clothes off, turn around, bend over. Yeah, yeah, nice tits. You can work here. And just like that, I was hired. Just so like were, that. But were you a good dancer? Oh, well, you don't really dance. And nobody teaches you shit, by the way. And heaven forbid you like a move someone's doing and you try to work it into your little walking around on stage routine and they will corner you in the change room saying, that's my move, bitch, you know, and threaten your life. It's horrendous. Oh, yeah. No, it's awful. Oh, was- so you, you wouldn't recommend that job? No. Well, yeah. back then, yes, back then it was $5 a dance. We would get a little table dance box, put it down in front of the person. And when the song started, you'd stand up on this little box perched on your heels. I have two of them in my house, even. I think you may have seen them at the birthday parties I used to have. Hey, I may have danced on one of those boxes at your birthday party. In fact, I know I have. Not naked, but I have danced on the box. Right, to perch on one of those things in five-inch stilettos, good Lord, and take your clothes off and try to look sexy while doing so. And, oh, God, don't fall. And, wow, hey, you can drink. Oh, boy. So that, yeah, that was the, it was a big learning curve. And I remember my first day working. It was my 20th birthday. I started stripping the day before I turned 20. 
November 9th, 1989. They didn't, I didn't go on stage that day. They, uh, they had a feature in, they would always have each week a different feature dancer who would be like the headliner to draw in all the people. Um, and it was uh, Sika, the porn star. Oh, yes, yes. She was beautiful. She had this, you know, fringe cut, stern, blonde way. She just was exquisitely gorgeous. She walked out on stage just fully nude. And I was just like, oh my God, that is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I will never look like her. She was stunning. Um, and very nice. Well, they're human beings. I mean, sex yeah. workers, porn workers are human beings. I actually narrated a book about porn work. It was written by a university professor. It was very insightful as to what they have to do to actually make a living. They were doing gig economy work before it became a thing. Nowadays, we think of it as this new thing. But yeah. very few of them made enough money just from movies. They would headline as dancers in gentlemen's clubs. And that was one of the things they had to do to make a living. Yeah. They were the big draw. You bring in the big name, you know, yeah. like whether that was a model or a, a porn star or what have you. They were the big name. There would be one each week. They, she would have her own featured, you know, dressing room. She had her own change room and her own bathroom. And um, yeah, but she, she, I just remember it was packed, of course, because it was Sika. And she was loved. Sika or Seika? I don't know how to say that. Well, I've heard people say Seika, but if we had her here, we could ask her, but we don't. <laughs> Very cool. So that's when I started. And the first day I sat at the bar, sh at one of the bar stools, shaking so much. I could hear the bar stool like, like hitting the bar from my nerves vibrating. I'm sitting here in my head going, I'm sitting in a strip bar. I have very little clothes on. I'm a stripper. I'm a dancer. <clears throat> I'm a dancer. This is my life now. My head was saying this over and over again, trying to accept the reality that I was sitting in because I was just still so completely flabbergasted that I had the balls to do this. Guys but, are coming by saying, hey, do you want to dance? you want to do me a dance? Uh, dance for me? And I, I'd, I'd be like, um, no, I'm on my break. Uh, <laughs> you know, <so. laughs> I just said no for the first few hours as I watched the stage and tried to watch what the girls were doing. You could see the girls table dancing at the tables. That's what they did then because uh, they would stand on the little box and, and you'd see they'd be much taller. And I was watching, watching and learning, trying to figure it out because they don't tell you anything. And finally one guy pointed to me and uh, he caught my attention to pointed to me and I immediately looked to my left and I went crap nobody there I looked to my right shit nobody there oh, crap he's pointing at me and I was mortified and I just kind of pointed to myself like with me and he went oh yeah yeah come here I walked over to this poor man leaned over top and went what <laughs> said to go, but I must I'm so yeah, very that's very classy Carolyn very sexy he uh, said do you want to give me a dance I went, uh, okay. So I went, I went to go to table dance box, put it in front of him, sat down, didn't speak, didn't introduce myself, didn't talk, nothing. And then when the next song started, I got up, spun around in circles at the very last minute of the song, kind of gave him a quick flash and went, thank you, $5, please. And, uh, you know, needless to say, he did not ask me to do a second. Oh, but you know, how long did it take you to get comfortable? Like the second day was a little better because it was my birthday. I went on stage that day. That was terrifying. I said, hey, it's my birthday today. And the owner went, oh, good. Congratulations. You're going on stage. So not the present I was looking for. That was, that, that experience, you know, it's like your first time having sex. You never forget exactly what was happening. Yeah. D and it's not good the first time. Did you, <laughs> did you keep the $5 from the customer or did you have to hand that over to the house? Oh, no. We, we kept everything we made. And oh, we got okay. 
house back in the day. The house would give you, you would get a, like $40 a shift or something. And at the end of each week, they'd pay you that in cash. Oh. Plus whatever table dancing you kept. So it was, it was lucrative even in the $5 days. It was quite lucrative. I mean, Cardi B started as a dancer. I don't, a gal's got to do what a gal's got to do. And we don't have a lot of money to, a lot of opportunity to make a lot of money. So. No, I, no, you couldn't, I had nothing. No. And and again, as long as you're not being abused, taken advantage of. Now, I don't think I would enjoy the idea of getting up and dancing naked in front of gross men, but I don't judge someone for it. My God, you have to do what you have to do. And we're all born with different skills and assets. Uh And when you're a young woman, one of your assets is you're very beautiful. Young skin, firm, you know, nice gams, which I didn't know. (laughs) Now, and I, and I like burlesque. Yeah, I enjoy burlesque. It's kind of uh, cheeky. And there's like this little wink, wink. It's kind of fun. It is. It is very fun. I did that much later after dancing, I did burlesque for a while. There's just some shows here in Toronto and it was, it was wicked fun. And but, you have control over that, I think, as a burlesque performer. Yeah. You know, maybe. it's not some one-to-one where a man is going, dance for me. It's, oh, yeah. it's or bringing out flashlights. So very performative. Yeah. Yeah. It's more of, it's more character driven doing burlesque. It yeah. Is much of a theatrical show, whereas stripping was, I wasn't anything fancy. I was just one of the house girls on a stage twice a night doing that at that bar was twice a night. Other bars were five shows a night, three songs per show, roughly five, four to five minutes per song in an eight hour shift in five inch stilettos. That was you and Windsor dancing. Then what? You obviously moved on from that. I did that for uh, 10 years. I said I wouldn't do this more than 10 years. So I retired at 10 years in Owen Sound. I had eventually made my way back to Toronto, made my way to Owen Sound for quit dancing for a little bit, went back to it. I decided I wanted to go to Ireland for the first time. So uh, I I went back to, to dancing for a bit to make some quick cash to go to Ireland for a month. And you ended up back in Toronto. You went to Ireland for a month, which is amazing. Amazing. I backpacked around for a month and it was awesome. I almost stayed. I met a really good friend there who's kind of like the brother I never had from another mother. And we're still friends. And now he's married with two kids and he's a grandpa and it's awesome. And I adore his wife. I'm like, she's my other sister. Um, Lovely. A very nice offer of a marriage. Not a real one, you know, just so I could stay. But I, because I thought, oh my God, I don't want to leave this country. And as nice as that was, I was also a little bit nervous thinking, I don't want to go to jail. So I (laughs) said no. And I came back home. And then a few months later, I ended up meeting Dale. Oh, now when I met you, you had a den in your basement. Are you (laughs) okay with talking about that? I am okay. This will be the first, like other than close friends who know me, this will be the first time I talk publicly about this. Oh, it's a little bit weird because... I mean, it's hard enough being a woman in trying to be taken seriously, although I am a, a giant dork in the film industry. When you say you were a dancer, automatically men think, oh, sweet, easy fuck. I'm an easy lay. Like, yeah, I don't really want to sleep with you because you're kind of icky. Um, yeah. So when you mention, I just never even mention that part of my life. So <laughs> you don't have I, to, though. No, it's OK. This I'm, I'm actually OK with doing this. I know I, this is a different forum and I, and I think I'm okay with this. I'm okay with it now. I'm 52. I'm an old fart now. So, but I think there's value in just talking to people about things they do that would surprise you because there are a lot of people 
who have lots of different interests that you work with them. Yeah. And you don't even know. This is a part of the human experience. It is. Well, so for a little while, I became a professional dominatrix. Well, uh, when I was dancing, I, my first stage name was Kara, which was a nickname from Carolyn. And it was too close to a girl at the bar called Paris. So every time they'd say Kara or Paris, both of us would go running up to the DJ thinking it was our turn on stage. So when I switched bars, I, became, I took on the moniker of Victoria, which is a name I loved. And it just suits me. And I answer to it still, which is funny. So many people still call me that name and I automatically turn my head. You got clientele from a bar? No, 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 no. When, when I was a dancer, that's how I got the name Victoria. So when I, oh, okay. mom, you know, I was hanging out at some of the, some of the bars in Toronto, they would have fetish nights where you could dress up leather corsets. I'm obsessed with corsets. I, I love corsets too. Need for corsets. I love them. So I would go to fetish nights because they were fun as hell. And the music was kind of like eighties dance. And I'm like, Oh, my era. <laughs> Like, you know, we were like, it's like being in a club full of old goth or new wave people, which was my group, you know, and I felt comfortable among the fetish crowd because it was a really accepting a lot of people from the LGBTQ community, which was awesome. You, there was never any fights, never any stabbings or shootings at a fetish night. It was awesome. And I was still sort of going, you know, I was sort of working in film a little bit. I had gotten a job, a friend of mine that I met, uh, a producer friend gave me an opportunity to become a PA, a production assistant. Uh, And I I thought, okay, great. I took the job, long hours for shit money, but it's a foot in. And I, I like to read and I like to write and I can't stop stories creating in my head. Falling asleep is like IMAX theater surround sound hard to shut it off so this was a way into something creative that I knew is what I had always wanted to do so at the time uh, I'm doing that crappy job and uh and I'm hanging out at fetish nights and I thought I really need to make some extra cash here it's just I'm not making enough so I went up to the woman who hosted one of the fetish night her name was Jerry she went by Madam X was quite well known in Toronto lovely woman beautiful stunningly beautiful woman uh was a model for a long time gorgeous and very sweet um, and so she took me under her wing as a, as a newbie and trained me when I worked at her dungeon for a bit. And I, well, I needed a name because just like dancing, you don't use your real name because whatever these men say to you, they're not saying it to you. They're talking to Victoria and I can be whomever they need to in order to part ways with the money in their wallet into my purse. So it's a character. It's a character. And that character changed with every seat I sat down in to say, hi, I'm Victoria. Who are you? And let them talk. And then I knew what kind of person they wanted, what kind of mm. dance they wanted a funny one or a smart one or a slutty one, whatever. I could give them that person part with as much cash as I could with them and then walk away and do it again at the next table. So I needed a name so you don't carry this home with you. So I took, I, I thought, well, no, Victoria is the name I answer to naturally. And I needed a last name. I took the name Windsor because I'm from Windsor and Victoria Windsor sounded good. So I does. Victoria Windsor and oh one day my mother's going to hear this and be mortified oh she's not going to listen to this podcast (laughs) she'll miss it she'll be at church every day yeah (laughs) hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, so I, I became Mistress uh, Toria Windsor, Miss Toria Windsor. And, I, I, and the nice thing was, it was cash money, 250 300 an hour. I am never naked and they do not touch me. But, but it's more psychologically draining and exhausting prepping for these sessions. And um, I learned so much. I mean, I learned a lot about men because as a dancer, they are not shy of telling you everything they think. There is no filter because they are not speaking to just a female relative or a friend or they, or even a woman on the street, they're talking to a quote unquote stripper, sex worker, blah, blah, blah. You're an object in that context. So they have no filter saying what they say. So I um, sadly have a really hard time taking men at face value. Well, we all wear different faces to some extent for different people, but I think a lot of women have good reason to have some degree of mistrust or fear because let's be honest, men can be violent. Hashtag not all men, but enough men that they're carrying the load for the rest of them. Sadly, yeah. Yeah. There are good ones, though. Of course there are good ones. Lots of good ones. It's just that we can't necessarily tell whether you're good or not until a significant amount of time has been invested. So we have to be cautious. Yeah. The bad ones are good at hiding it and pretending. Um, yes, absolutely. But yeah, no sex involved. I am not naked. Nobody touches me. Woohoo! And it was interesting to learn why people came to see a dominatrix because you're not going there for sex. A dominatrix is not a sex worker. A sex worker who dresses in leather as a pro-dom character is a sex worker and kudos to them that I have friends who are that's awesome I could not so I was just the regular run-of-the-mill dress in leather latex I'll send you know tie you up thank you and send you home kind of thing but I had the most amazing regulars really interesting regulars and not all, like one story this is a favorite a guy a regular would come in each day hand me my tribute which was your payment in an envelope or I always asked for a card I said pick me out a card And I wanted to see what they chose and what they wrote. That was always interesting to me because that gives me some insight into their psyche. Yeah. So he hands me the card of my tribute and I say, thank you. And he goes into the middle of the space. He was a little old fellow, all wrinkled, bless his heart. And he would strip down, sit in the middle of the floor on the, you know, nicely polished wooden floor. He all closed in on himself, tucked in and his clothes were folded so neatly, like sharp as a pin. You can bounce quarter. It was really interesting because most you come in, your clo- their clothes were landing wherever. They were just so excited to be with the mistress. And I would tie him up securely and I'd leave the room. I'd go in the other room. I'd flip through a magazine. I'd you know, read a book, whatever. And then within about 45 minutes, he'd get himself free, put his clothes back on and leave. And that was it. Wow. 100 bucks for an hour. And I never understood why until one day he said, mistress, I no longer need to come and see you anymore. And I said, why, sweetie? Are you bored? I'm boring you, aren't I? Do you want to do something different? And he said, no, ma'am, my nightmares are gone. Wow. 
He had been a POW somewhere. I don't know where, but him working through this. So he was, he knew he was safe. He was in a consensual secure area of me tying him up as tight as I could. I was like, am I not tying you tight enough? And he said, no, my nightmares are gone. He had chose happily married. Wasn't looking to mess around on his, on his wife. He was looking for a way to fight through his own demons of escaping every single time until his nightmares disappeared. Holy shit. That's a valuable service. I don't know if a therapist could have given him that. Don't think a therapist is allowed to tie up their clients naked sitting in the room and then leave them alone. But I don't think talk therapy would have given him that. You know what I, I'm i saying? It's, yeah. Wow. Yeah to work through and uh, you know of course I immediately I'm like oh you're so lovely I'm bawling my eyes out I'm so not cool and um and the sweetest little man you know happily married for 50 some odd years I don't know what war he was in I'm assuming maybe Vietnam War but I honestly I have no clue because I don't think Canada was involved in that so I don't know where or when I know he was very old he, and to be honest he's probably long gone by now oh uh, bless his heart wasn't looking to, to muck about he was just he just wanted to fight through and get through his own demons and his nightmares. And and I kind of felt so incredibly honored at that moment to have done that. that and I'm surprised he even thought of that as a potential methodology. Right? Pretty smart. Yeah. Know thyself. I know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Works and fights through your demons and triggers and helps you coping mechanisms. Not hurting others. I'm all for it. So I think they provide a great, I have a really close friend who's still a well-known dominatrix here in Toronto and she's brilliant. She works with so many couples, new to old, all these couples. I'm teaching them how to spice up things to keep it exciting and loving and caring. And she teaches them in the safe, sane, consensual environment and talking and communication and how to work out a scene and aftercare. And she's so amazing. It's such a brilliant service to the people of Toronto. Well, and this is the thing that a lot of people don't necessarily understand. They hear they just, someone does this and there's an immediate judgment. There's an immediate judgment. Oh, you're, you're you know what, tying them up and sleeping with these men. Yeah, actually, no, <laughs> not at all. There's no Yeah. Sense. Well, I was at one of your parties, I remember, and one of the guys who was doing work in the kitchen I spilled something or someone spilled something and I immediately went to clean it up. And he said, no, no, I'll get that. But he was busy making food. And so I went, no, that's okay. I'll do it. And you just looked at me and said, Julie, he needs to do it. And then he said, he called you mistress and got down and cleaned it up. And of course it hadn't occurred to me that I'm actually interfering with something he wants to do. He wants to do to be in service, to be like, there's so many men who want to be in service. Now that could be someone who wants to be a sissy mate to dress up and just literally come and clean your house. And Oh God, love them. They are the best thing the goddess has ever created because man, I love a good sissy mate. And, and others just want to be in service to, to, you know, to serve at like a party with my parties were all my girlfriends coming for my birthday. Yeah. With lots of, you know, champagne and goodies and got a couple of hot massage guys to give massages and your henna oh, tattoo guy. Bradley. Oh, I he- really liked him. I spent quite a bit of time chatting with him at your kitchen table and I loved his outfits. He dressed as Sailor Moon one year and he was beautiful. Gorgeous. Yeah. He loves women and admires women and wishes to emulate the elegance of women from a bygone era. But he is a straight man. Yeah. Want to live as a female, he just likes to cross dress. It is like his way of like a worship 
of elegance and grace. And, and he is the loveliest person on the planet. And he, he is. Because he's a good artist. And I met him at the bars at a fetish night. And just, you cannot help but love him. He's so sweet. I would get henna ink and, and he would give free henna tattoos every year at my birthday. And, and I always had a theme, right? A theme birthday party. So we had a different costume and it was always fun. And he would dress in the theme every year. And it was, his outfits were brilliant. And every year the women were like, Bradley's coming, right? Is Bradley going to be there? I hope so. I loved those parties. I know I miss them. I need to do them again. I'll do them when I move to Ireland. How fun will that be? Oh, yeah. You also did fetish training, didn't you? did, yeah. And because one of the things that a lot of people might not know about fetishes is the level and clarity of consent is huge. There's no fumbling around wondering. Oh, no, no, no. Generally, you, you know, if this is something that you like and it excites you in some way, you know, if it fuels your fire, other people can flip through a porn magazine or what have you, whatever fuels your fire, people generally seek that out. So if this is something that fuels you and it, and it fires up your imagination and your passion, then, you know, you can seek out professionals and people in that community who will teach you how to do things properly and safely. I teach (laughs) <laughs> I teach people how to use a single tail whip on another human. I also teach <laughs> actors how to do it on stage. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a choreography to it, I'm sure, to do it on stage. I learned from a great, um, I, I won't say his name, but I, I learned from a really, because he's not in the fetish community. He's an actor, actor. And he's an amazing uh, whip instructor and fight coordinator. And he knows all these weapons. And it's quite a skill. Um, yeah. The whip part, because I was, because <laughs> I used to watch the old black and white versions of Zora. Zorro with my grandpa Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I wouldn't know what to do with a whip. As a matter of fact, years ago, I got, it wasn't a single whip. It was a small, like little toy, multi-pronged whip. Oh, that would be a flogger. Okay. Well, see, I know nothing about this stuff. I'm I'm such a muggle. I got this in the, in the inter-office mail from one of my colleagues who worked in Calgary. Now, he didn't say who it was from. But he was a guy who we were all good friends with. And sometimes you have these friendships if you work with someone for years and years and years. And even though from an HR perspective, you're joking around and banter would be crossing a line. If you know your audience and you're good friends with someone, we weren't crossing lines. I was nervous at first until I found out who sent it to me. And he's also a good friend of Abe's. Abe and I were together. And I told you about it and you said, oh, I can show you how to use that. Now, I never took you up on that. In fact, I think I I think I gave it to Value Village (laughs) because somebody might want that and they can't afford to go into a retail sex shop and pay full price. They can be very expensive. Also, one time I got a package in the mail. It wasn't addressed to me or Abe. It was addressed to someone else, our address, and there was no return address on it. And I went around to neighbors and knocked on doors. Is this yours? Is this yours? Didn't know who the person was. I think I stowed this package away in case someone came looking for it. And I was cleaning up one day and I thought, oh, I've had this here for months. I'm just going to open it and see what it is. Maybe there's a packing slip in it with a return address. I opened it up. It was a giant pink dildo. (laughs) Now, Abe and I had a really good laugh over this package, but there was no return address. There wasn't even a return address from the company who sent it. 
So I ended up giving that to Value Village as well. So I sometimes wonder if the staff pick through the donations and set a few things aside for themselves. It wasn't used. I also got a card in the mail to the same guy, but it had a return address. So I, I was able to return to sender on that one. And it looked like very elderly writing, like it might have been a birthday card or something. And I thought, oh, shit, it's a shame I didn't get that before I gave the dildo to Value Village. I could have sent the dildo there, too. But I don't know. It could have been his mom or his grandmother or something. But you know what? Your nan is a human being. She was a sexual person once, probably an oppressed sexual person. But, you know, if she had had the opportunity to fully enjoy her sexuality, things could have been very different. You know, Queen Victoria was, and Albert there, were hugely sexual. She was, she's known to have enjoyed all aspects of their frivolities and sexual escapades. The only downside was she kept getting pregnant. She hated having children and hated being pregnant. But when she complained about, is there any way to avoid this? The doctors were told to say, no, she's the Queen of England. She needs to fill us with children. Jesus. She didn't know the calendar method back then. Uh, well, and that's even not great, but it's better than nothing. My God. Well, I'm glad she enjoyed herself, but that's the problem. I worked with a guy who had 14 children. He was a dirty old man. I used to avoid him at Christmas because he'd try to give you a Christmas kiss and slip you the tongue. But he had 14 children, all with the same woman. And I forget how the conversation started. I said, wow, 14 children. That's a lot of children. Same wife? And he said, what can I say? She likes screwing. And I said to him, someone needs to fill her in that you can do that without having a baby. Because <laughs> it's not 1900 anymore. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. Anyway, so, onward. <laughs> yeah. You, you have more recently enjoyed some documentary success. Congratulations. Tell us about Iceland. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, well, the filmmaker is Mark Terry. He is the brains behind this. He did the Polar Explorer. Um, He did the Antarctica Challenge, A Global Warning. I met him. I took a producing course with a a girl I met at a fetish night. It turns out she worked in film. We've been friends ever since. (laughs) um, You never know who you're going to meet at these places. She knew Mark and and said we should take this producing course because I have too many stories in my head. And we did, and Mark was looking for some help in the post end of the Antarctica Challenge, and I was able to do that with my limited knowledge. And it won, I think, 15 environmental film awards around the world. So I'm one of the producers. Ooh. Um, And you were on the ship. And then he got this opportunity to, well, that film was the first film ever to have been screened at a United Nations World Leaders Summit for Climate Change. That was the Antarctica Challenge. But then he went on to make... He got a chance to go to Iceland with Adventure Canada, which is a fabulous company. You can go and do these amazing tours on boats and they have experts on board that change from table to table each night. So you get tours given by volcano experts, by uh, Nobel Prize winners and scientists. Mark was the scientist on board in residence and I was the documentarian on board. So um, Amazing. You need to do this trip, 10 days circumnavigating Iceland on a ship. I almost said no, because I am absolutely petrified of boats. I am not a fan. Although the last night was terrifying. But man, am I glad. We we were there to shoot climate change updates for the UN. And then it took him 
probably four years-ish with a really good team of people. And he put together the changing face of Iceland. And so again, I'm one of his producers, his associate producers, but I'm also the cinematographer on this one. Uh, mm. I didn't the whole thing. He had to get a lot of drone footage and archival footage to fill in things that I didn't have. So, but it was exciting. I traveled around in a boat and uh, with my camera on my shoulder and a uh, and it, and it was the most amazing experience. So that film just had its world premiere at COP26 in Glasgow. Amazing. Oh, to all the world leaders. The Changing Face of Iceland has been invited by the UN to be part of UN cinema. And they choose films that on many topics that basically benefit the world in some way or another. And they have to be factual and scientific. They cannot be one man's political opinion or a soapbox rant, or they have to be factual and scientific in order to be invited to be part of UN cinema. So I'm kind of crazy proud of that. Oh, congratulations. I'm very impressed and proud of you. (laughs) Thank you. If it wasn't for Mark Terry, honest to God, he's the genius behind this. He's really fab and and I'm lucky to be part of his team and he's wicked fun to work with. Well, shout out to Mark. Yeah. Michelle... Dubarry. That is another story. You have that documentary in progress. Finally, although many are convinced otherwise, most will tell you she's never going to finish it. But uh, yeah, you know, ask Ken Burns. <laughs> One day I will meet him. It can take it can take you two, six months. It can take you 20 years to do a documentary yeah. film. There is no set script or timeline. I met uh, Michelle Dubarry, or aka he's, his real name is Russell Aldred who just turned 90 on November 23rd, 2021. He was born in 31. Do you know that's the year that Al Capone went to jail for tax evasion? I did not. No, the things you learn when you research a film. Yeah. Um, I met Michelle DuBerry, who is Canada's oldest drag queen. And I met back before I was even working in film. I was living in Toronto and I went to a gay bar just because why not? I knew at the time I was interested in both men and women. So I'm like, I'm going to go and see what it's like. Again, by myself. I do a lot of things alone. I swear I do have friends. I do too. Oh, oh, good. Yay. <laughs> Just me. Um, no, no, I like doing things alone too. I do. I rather enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you. Interrupt whatever you like. I went to a gay bar and and there she was sitting at the end of the bar and I was sitting by myself and I had a drink and she just, and this was the first drag queen I had ever seen in my life. It was very exciting. I'd never seen a, you know, man dressed as a woman. So I was, wow. And I, I said, I, I think I just said, excuse me, you're, you're very beautiful. And, and she said, well, thank you, dear. Well, aren't you just, are you by yourself? And she bought me a drink and we started talking and I remember her name and she, and I remember her saying she was also known as Anita Moday which I learned later who Anita Moday was her earlier drag name. Cut to many years later when I'm still hanging out with all the really fun fetish people and I got into the leather community with a lot of the gay men. And they do these big titles and contests like Mr. Leather This and Miss Leather That. And throughout the year for their title year, they get to wear a fabulous sash and walk around always wearing sexy clothes. They travel and they bring awareness to and or raise money for some sort of fundraiser like Casey House in Toronto, the HIV AIDS house or Rainbow Railroad, which helps LGBT youth escape terrifying, you know, horrible countries where they can be killed and bring them safely to Toronto. And set them uh, up. I've read about that one. Yes, yeah, that's a great one. So they do all these fundraisers. Well, the drag community does the same. There is an organization here called TICOT, the Imperial Court of Toronto. And this was started eons ago by an American. 
but it's in Canada, Mexico, US. And each year, these drag queens and their male beautiful escorts or partners or husbands or what have you, they compete and they run for emperor or empress in that year. And they get a fabulous crown and lots of jewels and, and people bow to them and, and Kurt Zinka, empress, emperor. And they do shows, big drag shows for that entire year. They go to other courts around in those three countries and they do big shows and many people attend and donate money when the queens are on stage performing or the drag kings as well. When they're performing, people go up and tip them all of those monies from all of those courts in all three countries goes to charities. So Michelle is a huge part of this group. She was an empress twice. She's now the grandma mayor of Canada, I think, or Ontario. I'm not sure. I'd have to check that. But she would be at the brunches that the leather guys were doing their brunches. You know, you could have things donated and there was draws for prizes and all money raised goes to charities. They give nonstop. They are unbelievably giving humans these oddballs of society of whom I am happily to be one. (laughs) Um, Well, part of the amazing thing about that is being a drag queen is a significant financial investment. When I look at the clothing and the wigs and the makeup and everything else, that has to cost a fortune. And and you think you cannot go buy these, these gowns right off the rack, you know? Nope. Michelle made her own clothes. I finally said to her one day, Michelle, you are going to be my next documentary. And I think we were, we were working on, no, it was after the Antarctica challenge. I did a short doc on my own called one night only. It was five retired strippers who came out of retirement for one more night on stage. And I was one of them. So of course, again, my mother's mortified. Uh, And I won a little film award out of Los Angeles. Oh, congratulations. I didn't know about that. I have a little statue at home. It's basically kind of like a third place kind of thing, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. So you can't, like, it was shot on little mini DV, so I think you can only maybe rent this on pay-per-view in Eastern Europe somewhere. Really? Oh, okay. I have a copy here. I'm happy to show you. I was going to ask you if there's a link. There is no link to that, sadly, but I I do have a copy on my computer. Um, So I was finishing that, and I told Michelle one day, you're going to be my next documentary film. And I remember her flipping her Marilyn Monroe blonde hair and going, oh, what, little old me, dear? Oh, why would anyone want to know about me as she fanned herself and (laughs) preened? (laughs) So I decided to do it. I I started following her with a camera and then I got smart and had her sign a contract giving me the rights to her life story. And then I learned about her life and then others came forward and I interviewed so, so, so many of Toronto's drag community and bar supporters were amazing and thrilled that her story was finally going to be told. Now I started this 10 years ago. I shot off and on for 10 years and Oh God. Yeah. No, it's nonstop. And then, and I would think, Oh, I have enough. Good. I'm ready to do it. And then I would suddenly another little piece of history would pop out and I go, Oh, I didn't know that. I have to research that. And then that goes on. And then I took well, side jobs. Plus you have, yeah, the side jobs. I mean, in the meantime, it's not like you had a huge benefactors funding this project. This was my visa until I did a GoFundMe a few years ago and I aimed to raise 20 grand to help pay for post-production historical photos from the archives you need to pay for and editors and things that because oh my god I can't edit it's really hard so in order to pay this for sound and music rights and you know the credits and all this it's paid for that so I raised a little bit of money I used some of it for a computer with the editor actually we all went in on it together he and I and we used some of the funds from Michelle so that was good because he cut together the beautiful trailer and the trailer premiered in England for a festival of seniors Oh, wow. 
send me a link to the trailer if you can. I, I will send you a link to the trailer. I will. Oh, great. Um, yeah. And then, uh, what else? And it was used at the London Gay Symphony Orchestra, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And they, they had heard of Michelle and wanted, their theme that year was like something fit for a queen or something. And they used Michelle on their back cover. And they, again, showed the trailer in their um, intermission. Wow. Well, congratulations. I'm looking forward to seeing that finished. And you'll probably, you'll be able to enter it in festivals. That's the plan. Now I'm at the point where I'm, I just finished doing a a little side job for Amazon's show, The Boys, which was cool. Oh, I know. It was awesome. It's a great show. And so now I'm, I drag out all my DVDs, hard drives, and all my information of 10 years of stuff on Michelle and go, okay, let's get back in again. And so that's what I'm I'm doing again now. I became her uh, primary care person, Mm. like power of attorney for personal care and driver to doctor's appointments. And we hang out. (laughs) Well, that's lovely. I'm glad she has you in her life so that you can help her with that stuff. She's fun. She's a really stubborn person, but she's hilariously fun. Stubborn. People want what they want. I don't blame them. I don't blame her. Well, Carolyn, what an amazing story from different things, eh? Dashing off to the big city at 17, Mm -hmm. to dancing, to doming, to fetishing. And training and documentaries and film work. And yeah. your next thing I know is moving to Ireland for good. Yeah, in roughly six months, I think. End of May, probably it looks. Uh, Fantastic. Because I, I own my camera, I can, you know, I see stories everywhere. So documentaries will always interest me. Things on the planet will always interest me. I care very deeply about the planet and the state of it. It terrifies me. And I, I'm so very happy to be a Kelly. I kept my last name through two marriages. <laughs> and yep, I'm and, all for that. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I've been to Ireland 10 times. I usually go each year for a couple months to write. It, to me, it's the most beautiful place on earth, but it's because I have a blood connection, you know? Oh, because so, I was going to ask you what the draw to Ireland is. I am a proud Kelly. Kelly is a pretty big, it's like Smith over there. Yeah. And O'Brien and Murphy, those are those are big names. And the people that I met that first trip, uh, I've gotten to meet their families. And now they will text each other when I'm going back and they'll say, right, Carolyn's coming home. So, <laughs> so you know, it's it's cool that they consider me family and I'm going home. Uh, oh, that's great. It feels like home. Is there anything else you'd like to tell people before we sign off? Oh, boy. Honestly, if you have a dream that you've always wanted to do, just stay focused and every day do something, at least one thing that gets you one step closer to that goal. I get sidetracked tons of times. I'm very much a shiny, sparkly squirrel kind of person, but I keep coming back because I'm also really one track mind of this is what I want. I am going to do this. I am going to finish this. I will succeed kind of thing. I can't really do anything else. I kind of don't have many skills that way. Stick it out, you know, stick it out and and keep chasing something. If you want something, it doesn't matter who you were or or the environment you were from, which I did not come from a film environment at all, but you seek it out and and learn and don't get up, you know, no regrets. If you don't seek it out, you will have regrets. You have to at least try if it's in your heart. Absolutely. So lovely chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you so much for listening. If you have anything you'd like to ask or share, email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. J-E-W-E-L-S says at gmail.com. And have a wonderful week. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.